Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat. It's a lonely Bulls Beat today, but probably a better Bulls Beat, one might say, because we are missing uh, our buddy C. Red Fred. And after last night's loss, I, I think we should do a mental health check, just physical check, location check, uh, see where Fred is. It can't be good. But we are here with Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? Doug, I'm doing well, mate. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised we're even recording at the moment because Fred didn't want to do the podcast after a loss. And then we we're maybe going to push it back to the end of the week when they hope, hopefully beat the Rockets. But then he wasn't available then. Then he was available to come back on. Then he wasn't. He may pop up halfway through the show. Who the hell knows with this guy? But um, yeah, other than that, I'm well. But I, 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 this will be fun because we, we can actually t- um, give some, Fred some slander here and he, and he won't be able to retort at all. So this could be a, an exciting episode. Yeah, I think he'll be back on Twitter. He'll be re- replying on, on Twitter with all of his <laughs> his replies. I gotta say, we I don't know if we can like cut it in, but the thing where you got Sylvie to rip on Fred was maybe like the greatest like thirty five seconds of my life. I, I guess that's probably a stretch, but it was the greatest thirty five seconds of uh, you know the day that I heard it. That was that was uh, pretty amazing. I, I don't where where was that? I mean, Fred showed me on his phone, but I don't even know where it's linked to. Yeah, I'm sure we can throw that in post-production, throw that on the end of the show uh, to keep people listening in. Uh, but, uh, you know, Sylvie just tweeted out a link the other day on, on, on Twitter. Have you heard of Cameo, like that, that app? I have not. Oh, you haven't. Okay, so Cameo is basically, you know, celebrities of all of all kinds. Um, basically, they get on there and they, short, they record short videos for, you know, whoever it may be. Like you send through a request. You pay whatever the, you know, whatever the, the fee is for that specific person. Um, you tell them roughly what you want them to say, I suppose, whether it's a happy birthday message, just a general shout out, or even a roast. Um, so Sylvie got on Cameo, and uh, he got on there to you know basically do these short videos, and um, the money that he was sort of raising would go to charity. So I thought, you know, this good good cause. Why don't I? I, I found a potential opportunity here to. To, to get creative in my way of trolling Fred, but also contributing to charity. So I basically just told Sylvie to uh, trash Fred and he obliged very quickly. So uh, um, very, very, very uh, what's the name? I, I owe him a lot for that one because uh, that was better than what I could have could have possibly expected. Yeah, it was, it was great. I was, we, so Fred, <laughs> Fred showed me while we were sitting at a bar with a bunch of Bulls podcasters uh, and yeah. everyone who hadn't seen it yet just laughed uproariously. And I said, there's no way you're coming back from this. There's no way you're going to come back from, uh, from this and, and come up with something better to get Mark. But he's, he's thinking about it. It's, it's, he's thinking about it. He's thinking about it real hard. To be honest with you, and I can say this now that he's not on the show, like that, that whole Cali song that he made was like, I, I had no answer to that basically. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good at trolling him. I can bring up all his terrible tweets and all those sorts of things. But like that was next level. And I have no musicianship skills at all not that he really does any anyways but i mean he thinks he does but you know I, he created a song and that was cool that was funny people loved it and there was no way for me to get him back i guess to that level but uh an opportunity presented itself i found a way to to sneak it in and um yeah so we delivered uh, it was better than what i expected i gotta say i'm never gonna get into a trolling argument with either of you 
Um, I'm so far beneath either of your ability that I just I just be decimated, uh, completely decimated. Anyway, uh, we maybe should talk about some Bulls basketball because we've been going for four minutes and and haven't even mentioned. Uh, so you know, not the the best last taste in our mouth uh, for the Bulls just getting destroyed by Indiana. But but overall, you know, since the last time we recorded, not a not a bad stretch. You know, got a got a couple wins. You can't win them all. I, I think you know the. I don't know. Maybe maybe I shouldn't speak for you. What do you What do you think of the direction? I think since since we last spoke, I think we're what two and two. We lost the lost the Blazers, lost to the Pacers, beat the Nuggets, beat the Knicks. Yeah, look, I'm I'm comfortable with how things have played out. To be honest with you, and the the loss to the Pacers. I mean, a lot at this point, we're getting comfortable with winning. We're expecting this team to win. Uh, and I, I heard you guys talking about on the Big Red Bus, and I said similar things on on Boyle's HQ. But like, this team is on on pace to win fifty five, fifty six, fifty seven, fifty eight games, whatever whatever number you want to throw out, depending on you know before or after the the Pacers loss. So we need to, really, I guess, recalibrate our expectations. And with that, like when they do lose, it, it is it does feel funny, I suppose. But nonetheless, like that Pacers loss felt like a schedule loss, and. And the reason for that is, is the teams essentially played seven games in 10, 11 days. They they went on the road, had a five-game West Coast trip, get back home, have one day off, and then immediately go into a home back-to-back, which is which is tough. Like, I have no idea what the schedule schedule makers are doing. Like, fair enough, you, you've got your five-game West Coast trip, but at least give the team two or three days off before you want to throw out another back-to-back on them. Like, no, I don't understand that. I understand, like, we're, we're trying to push back to an 82-game season, but... We're really rushing through these games, at least at least it's felt like through these last two weeks, which is good for us as content creators. There's, there's been a lot to talk about, but in terms of the team, like we shouldn't be surprised that they come out looking super lethargic the way they did, and even more so when you know, you, you're playing without Caruso and, and Vucevic, and even more so against this Pacers front line that have two big guys. Like It would have been nice to have Vucci out there. Yeah, I, I don't... I mean, I agree pretty much with everything you said. It, I also, not not that we were alone in this, called it a trap game. You yeah. Know, like we were, we're basically going up against a team that plays really hard, has a good matchup against us. We're missing some guys. We just had a long stretch of games. There's like a lot of reasons why you felt this game might be one that didn't go well. That said, yeah. I mean, like just got absolutely <laughs> annihilated. Pummeled. You, you, yeah. You'd like to see like competition better. And maybe one thing I'll bring up is uh, Billy Donovan, you know, afterwards this game said, I've never been one to flush a game down the toilet. You have to own what happened. I don't know. We're, we're, I, I thought like I'm the exact opposite. I would completely flush this game down the toilet. I don't think there's anything to learn just from everything we just said. Like, yeah, you could probably look at little things you didn't do well, but like because everything went so horrifically badly and that's not been your trend for the year. You know, to me, this is a toilet flush game. Do you agree with Donovan? Do you think this is a game like you got to own it and do something from it? Well, just just before I get into my answer, just just some some tips or not not some tips, but just some insight for the listeners. I've edited this out, but you wouldn't have hear, heard this. But C Red Fred joined the call. Uh, we couldn't record him because he didn't have his audio devices there. But he he jumped on the call uh, as we're recording this podcast. Uh, just as Doug answered his or asked his question before I can uh, deliver my answer, and he basically told us to tell the listeners that um, seven games in ten or eleven days is not an excuse. 
you know, you, you just can't be using that excuse at all. He was very livid by the, the Bulls' performance. He had nothing nice to say about Troy Brown Jr. In fact, he told Troy Brown Jr. to pound sound. So we don't actually have audio of that, but that is something that Fred said to us and wanted us to pass on to everyone that was <laughs> listening. Um, but to answer your question, Doug, I, I mean, I mean, for me, this is just coaches speak. Like, I'm sure he's just saying this just because this is what a coach has to say type thing. Or, I mean, he doesn't have to say, but it is typical coaches speak. Do I believe that you, there's anything to be gained from this game? No, like, absolutely not. Like, uh, I, I do believe in schedule losses, particularly in 82-game season. I mean, if we're being pragmatic about it, I know Frederick just then via a proxy via us, let's say, doesn't agree with this whole you know, seven games is in in ten in ten days being an excuse, but I I, th- I do think that is an excuse, particularly when the Pacers didn't play the day before. So yeah, I, Billy Donovan can say what he wants, Frederick can say what he wants, but um, there's nothing really to be gleaned from this one. Throw it in the bin. It's not representative of what the Bulls have been, and, and I don't I don't think you know this level of effort that they showed in this game was was an outlier performance. They haven't been this poor in any other game, so there's no reason for me to be concerned. Yeah, I I'm with you. Uh, and especially, I think because that Knicks loss was, kind of, or sorry, the Knicks win was kind of like a, an emotional win. The game before, you know, you lost yeah. that team. Uh, the Knicks always are going to play really tough. That that game was sort of like a drag out fight <laughs> in comparison. And so mm-hmm. I think having this type of game back to back, you know, is tough. And I, yeah, I get it. You should never lose a game this badly. In in theory, you always want to be playing hard, whatever. But I just don't think that's just practical. This is an eighty two game season. This isn't the playoffs. You know, it's a slog and you've just got through a slog and that's just how it goes. So I, I say you flush it and maybe internally they're flushing it. I don't know that they're going to look at it uh, so much, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, right now, yeah. you know, the Bulls are on track to be a top seed uh, in the East. And one of the questions I asked on the Big Red Bus, but I'll ask you, Mark, is, uh, you know, this is a great season, right? Where does this mm-hmm. rank on your like all-time Bulls Favorite season list, you know, as a fan. I mean, if we're extrapolating it over an eighty-two game sample and assuming it holds, yeah, like we're going to assume it holds for now. We're going to we're going to be assume it holds. We'll just say say it's like a fifty-three win season. Okay, in that event, um, I would say it would probably up. It it won't be better than twenty eleven. Let's say just due to the fact that that came almost out of nowhere. The, all the things that occurred that season um, and, and how deep they went into the playoffs. Now, it remains to be seen what this team does. Maybe like with a 53-win season as well, like maybe they could push to, to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I would say it's probably likely to be under that 2011 team. But thereafter, I would imagine it's going to be competing with any other team. Like a lot of those uh, post-Rose teams meant a lot to me. Like the ones where particularly Derek was out, uh, I'm thinking 2013, 2014, when Nate Robinson went psycho, you know, DJ Augustine, Joakim Noah, you know, rising up to be an MVP candidate. Like, despite those teams not really being contenders, only winning 45-ish type games, those teams meant a lot for me. And, and the way they are played, the way they, you know, really leaned into that underdog status, like that meant a lot to me. But I don't know, like the, all the... The way this has all come together, the fact that we've been so bad for three or four years to then go to a season when you win potentially 53 games, let's say, yeah, this would grade up pretty damn high for me. I would say it would be, you know, top three at least. Yeah, I got it as my third favorite season if we extrapolate out. And Mm -hmm. my first was 2004-05. And it was the first time the Bulls were good in forever. 
and yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. so exciting. And the team was so young, and they were going to have cap room coming up, and you thought, like, they're going to build, and they're going to be great for, like, a decade. Like, they could yeah. be amazing yeah. for a long time. Didn't turn out that way, as we know, but it, <laughs> yeah. it felt like it could at that time. Then uh, my next was the 10-11 season where Rose became the MVP. I mean, just having an MVP, winning the most games in the league. And even though you thought they were going to be really good, like Rose's jump was just stratospheric in one year uh, between that year two and year three. And so that was just unbelievable. And we also felt like this is a team that is just going to be around forever. And then this is third after that for me. Uh, I, I'm with you, like on those a couple of those other years, especially the no MVP or the the year we beat Brooklyn in the playoffs. But like for those seasons, like there was something missing. Like that playoff series against Brooklyn was amazing. You know Noah's play in that one MVP season was amazing. If you go back to the year where we had that seven game series against Boston, there was like amazing moments in that series. But like overall, those didn't quite have you know something for like the complete package. That 0-4-5 mm-hmm. season also had so many tremendous wins. You know, for those yeah. who go in the way back machine with Ben Gordon closing out so many games and, and all kinds of uh, great things. But yeah, I, and I think just the overall point, though, is like, man, if you're not watching Bulls basketball, and I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you sure as heck are because no one <laughs> listening to a Bulls podcast. Is, like if you're if you're doing that, you're pretty diehard. But boy, it's time to jump on. It's time to get involved. Tell your friends, you know, the, the Bulls are worth watching again uh, because they are. And, and it's exciting. So I. Based on this this result, I think post Indy, we're still on pace to win. I want to say fifty four games this year. How legit do you think the Bulls are? Do you think like what are your expectations now? I I thought before, I was hoping they would be you know maybe a, a, a five to eight seed. You know I think I said like there's no reason they couldn't challenge to be as high as third if everything worked out well. But I thought they're mm-hmm. probably in the five to eight range. I now mm-hmm. feel like they're probably, I mean anywhere from like a two to five seed. Uh, two to six seed, like in that range. So I've, I probably upped them maybe like say two to three slots. Uh, and it, at this point, heck, they, they could challenge to be the number one seed. Like there's no reason they can't. I don't I don't think they'll get it, but there's no reason they can't. So uh, where do you currently have the Bulls uh, after this fast start? This point of the season, I assume that would be in the playing situation just due to the fact that their schedule is so so tough and so brutal. But over their last 12 games, they've played you know, teams that um, are above 500, or at least before the Pacers game that was. They, they came away with an 8-4 and four record. And six of those 12 games were with, with uh, were without Vooch. And obviously, we know five of those games were on the road in, in, in the Western Conference. So I had just assumed if they even went 500 through that stretch, like that would have been an, a good outcome. But to go 8-4, and four, and like I said, six of those games being without Vooch, uh, for a new team that was coming together like and I've said this before on the show but like I'm just amazed at how quickly this team has gelled whereas like teams like the Celtics the Hawks who have largely remained untouched they look like the the team that just got built overnight and they look like they're struggling from a chemistry point of view it doesn't really make sense to me how the Bulls have just come out and, and played this well together and, and I guess that's cr- full credit to the team but you know, 12 wins is 12 wins at this point. You know, 12 from from 18. Uh, I, I do feel like they can... We, I, I, I mean, I completely agree with what you said, where best case scenario for me was like a third seed. I always assumed the, the Nets and the, and the box were going to be one, two. There was no touching them. I don't feel that confident about that take anymore because the, the Nets look susceptible. The Bucks haven't been great, but they're slowly getting it together. But for me, the best outcome was the Bulls finishing third. And I didn't really think that was likely. Uh, I thought maybe you know, bet. I won't say best case, but maybe more of a more of a chance was four or five. 
and maybe like the worst case scenario being like a an eight or a nine. So I think we we feel similarly, but like the fact that this team has a legitimate chance at being one, let alone you know sneaking in as a third seed, it speaks to the Eastern Conference and and maybe how the Nets haven't been as good as we thought. The Bucks starting slow, but at the same time, like I said, the Bulls have just started so fast to the point where these wins matter. They're going to matter towards the end of the season, and the schedule from here on out gets a lot easier for the team. So if they've been this good through the toughest part of their schedule, you would assume that going forward, that they're going to be even better. So I, I think they've got a real chance at the number one seed. I think it's probably more likely that they're, 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 they're two or three. But I mean, to get to, to even get home court this season, like it really sets you up for a second round berth. So um, if they get home court, I'll be, I'll be very damn pleased to be honest with you. Yeah, the interesting thing to me too is the schedule is different maybe than we expected. So again, I don't know how for real you think Washington is as an example. But yeah. I would guess going into the season, Washington wasn't on your list of tough no. <laughs> competitive teams. They weren't on my list. No. And yeah. uh, now, all of a sudden, they're like right there with the Bulls, like at the very top of the standings. And so a team like Philly, which looked like a tough team early and, and still may be a tough team at the end, and then they beat us twice. So, you know, but like they're like middling around 500. And, you know, it's just it's just interesting. The, the standings are all over the place. I think what you've seen in the East, and I don't think surprisingly to any of us, is a lot of parity. You know, like the the teams in these seem very clumped up. Uh, the Bulls are presently doing pretty well in that clump, but it, it kind of feels to me like talent is in the East. I gotta ask: Do we owe Fred an apology about something? I know no. your gut re- reaction is no, <laughs> no. <laughs> whatever the whatever the question is, like no, I'm not. I'm never apologizing, but I'll ask the question anyway. Okay, we'll we'll say maybe Fred was right about something. Well, uh, <laughs> you and I agreed that yeah. Nikola Vucevic was the most important player on this team. Yes. Nikola Vucevic has been out for a while, and the team has kind of done pretty well. <laughs> like They've done pretty well with him out. And I think the reason, and I, I, it stands to logic even now when I say it out loud, that we thought he was so important is because when he was out, you're moving to a replacement level player like Tony Bradley is his backup, who's a minimum salary player. And I won't yep. say he would definitely be out of the league if he wasn't on the Bulls, but he isn't definitely in the league if he's not on the Bulls either. Like he probably would have caught on somewhere else as a minimum player, but because he's at the mm-hmm. minimum, maybe, maybe not. You know, guys like, you know, there's a lot of guys, centers out there who you think would have caught on that didn't, you know, it's maybe four or five. So, uh, you know, who knows? Like, and, and his backup is a minimum salary player. So we thought, of course, we're going to really struggle. Well, he's been out and we haven't. Uh, do you still think Vooch is the most important player on the team, given how the Bulls have done in his absence? Well, I mean, the irony in all this is Fred has been banging on, whether it's been on this show, whether it's been on Twitter. I mean, he made sure to make this note on Twitter yesterday was how how much this team lacks rebounding. And obviously, Vooch is our best rebounder by by a wide, wide margin. So maybe the, the, the script has flipped here in the sense that Fred actually does feel that Vooch is our most important player given he's so hot on this, we need an extra big, we need rebounding, all that sort of stuff. But to your question, I'm certainly not apologizing. I'm not suggesting he's right, but uh, they've, they've found a way to, to mitigate Vooch's loss. And, and that really speaks to Billy Donovan's coaching, but also the way that the players have bought in. And we saw that against the Nuggets, like how good Derek Jones Jr. was as a basically the role man five. And, um, you know, Javante has played center minutes. Tony Bradley's done some good things recently at center. 
Um, I know he started rough when he first got into that starting lineup, particularly against the Warriors, but slowly but surely he's done some okay things as, a, as that starting center. So they've, they've found a way to, uh, I guess, yeah, like I said, mitigate the loss of Uch. Would I be comfortable rolling with this going forward? Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, look, they've handled this much better than what I thought they would without Vooch. I thought there was a chance that... Um, you know, that, that would get rolled by the Lakers because of the size. They didn't. They were absolutely amazing against the Lakers despite the size uh, disparity. Now, obviously, the Nuggets were without Jokic, so we can't really tell there. But, you know, and, and, we, and we saw it yesterday against the Pacers where they got smoked by that front court. But like I mentioned before, like schedule lost in my opinion. So, yeah, they, they've done much better than what I thought they would without Vooch. I'm very surprised by that. Does it hold? Probably not, but... To, to to be twelve and six without you know six or seven games without Vooch that that is impressive. I'm not going to relinquish my take just yet. I need to see more, but at the same time, hopefully, I don't see more because hopefully Vooch is coming back very soon. Yeah, I hope we don't see more too, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Vooch. I've been pretty critical of his performance so far, but I do think he has to be better. I mean, unless he has long term COVID problems. You know, of course, some some guys have that, and you know, we'll we'll certainly be keeping our fingers crossed that he's not one of them, and that he's he's able to fully get conditioned and be fully healthy in his normal healthy self. As you know, obviously, for anyone who's who's ill to have a full recovery. I mean, the nice thing is compared to like an injury situation, assuming he doesn't have long term COVID problems, like he should come back mm-hmm. and be pretty much ready right away. You know, as soon as yeah. he passes the cardiac screening and is able to go and has his his fitness level back. It's not like a, a shoulder surgery or something like Kobe's dealing with where you're trying to rebuild a bunch of muscle and, you know, and whatever. He'll probably take a few days to regain his conditioning, maybe a week. But, you know, it's not like he's going to have to have this muscular uh, recovery going on as well. So, you know, there should be no long-term side effects, hopefully. Again, fingers crossed uh, when he does come back. I, I do have to say, after watching the team roll out, it would be hard for me to pick anyone other than DeMar DeRozan now is our most important player, though. Like I just, I just feel like DeRozan at this point has kind of established himself. What what he's really brought to the table is the consistency that Zach Levine hasn't at the end of games. Like you just need to get a more consistent shot, not necessarily a more efficient shot. And so, like you know, guys who are three point shooters, and it's like it can be off and on. And so Zach will go through these stretches where it's just like you need him, and he's off at the end of the game. And you know, maybe his overall efficiency is can be a tick higher uh, at times than DeRozan. I don't know what they're actually at now. My guess is DeRozan's actually a little bit more efficient on the season than Zach without looking it up, but that might might be wrong. But at the end of the game, when you just need to get like two points and you need to get a basket, that mid range shot that's like a you know a fifty percent shot is actually a really good look that DeRozan is creating over and over. And that three-point shot, even though maybe if you take 10 of them, it's more efficient of a look, is, is not as good a look uh, when, you're, when you just need one basket at the very end. And, and so DeRozan has been able to give us this consistent offense and draw fouls and do all these things that we really need uh, at the end of close games and has been able to close out games for us. So I got to say, I've moved off this position a little bit after seeing the Bulls be able to compensate for Vooch for a while, and, and DeMar is my guy. Have I, have I sold you on that? I, th- I think it's a credible argument, and, and the reason why I think that is, I made this comp yesterday, and I was, to be honest with you, I was just talking myself into it, stream of consciousness type uh, tweeting. But to me, like this, this Bulls team kind of reminds me of the Suns team of last season, and it 
it's not a perfect comparison because obviously, you know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker is very different to uh, Levine and DeMar. But if you think about, you know, the acquisition of DeMar and the way he's sort of raised the floor of this team, the way he's controlling the offense late in games, um, whether it's for his own score or not, like he he's basically the go-to guy at the end of games, whether he's, like I said, whether he's scoring himself or whether he's trying to create the play. And, and um, you know, he, he's the one that's been bringing a level of poise to this fourth, fourth quarter execution. Whereas we've seen games, the rest of the team have, you know, panicked some. It's always been DeMar that's sort of, uh, just brighter the ship. So in that way, the way he gets to his mid-range, the way he's controlling the offense, the way he's bringing his experience, it kind of feels similar to what Chris Paul has done for the Suns. And, you know, thinking about Levine Booker comps, by, by having Chris Paul in Phoenix, you just allowed Booker to just to be the ultimate version of his, you know, extreme scoring self. And similarly, like that's what's happening with Levine. Like we saw in Denver, uh, you know, Zach go absolutely wild, uh, scoring from everywhere on the court. But even at the, despite like him scoring uh, so freely and so efficiently in that game, like the Bulls were still running their offense through Demar. Now he wasn't the one necessarily scoring the ball, but it was that was still going to Demar. So like that that comp sort of holds in that sense as well. The whole the whole Levine Booker thing. Obviously, Paul and uh, Demar are very different players, but in terms of the impact that they've had on the team, I think is very similar. And then you you know if you take that that logic even further to me like Alonzo and Caruso are so critical on this defense the way they've enabled a switching defense Michael Bridges and, and Jay Crowder have done the same thing for the Suns player coaches uh, in Billy and Monty Monty Williams terrible ownership being bo- uh, boosted by a very good management like there's a lot of comps to be had between the Bulls and Suns so it's, it, you know, that's my long way of answering your question and you know is DeMar the most important player on this team I think you can make a real credible case because of how good he has been in the sort of those clutch moments in, in how he's sort of lead, been leading and controlling the offense I you know, if you if you remove him and you, the, the the balls in Levine's hand to make more decisions, or you're trying to have Lonzo or Caruso make plays in pick and roll, which we've seen haven't been very good at all. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that is a pretty a pretty fair argument to make. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna just take that as a as a way of saying yes. You're moving off the Vooch position into <laughs> Demar without actually wanting to move off the Vooch position into Demar. I well, I mean, if, I, if I move off the Vooch position, then I'm basically have to say Fred was right, and I'm, I'm not prepared to do that. So that seems I'll, fair. I'll, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I didn't I didn't see your uh, tweet about it or your or your um, Twitter comments, but you know, just hearing you explain it, I think that's actually that's actually a very fair way of looking at it. I, I agree. Like. You, you kind of feel like Chris Paul came in and once he was there and you had someone with this poise and someone could do these things, like everyone else kind of fell into place. And though DeMar isn't the type of player that you would traditionally think was going to do that, I think that's exactly what has happened with DeMar here. Kind of like some of these like weird things we just don't have enough to close out or you know the offense becomes too singularly focused or some of Zach's weaknesses with ball handling become too apparent at the end of a close game. With Demar here, all of those things no longer matter, and we're able to close close these close games out. You know, like you, I don't know what our record is in like fifty fifty games. We we get we've had a lot of games where we just won them outright. We've now had two mm-hmm. games where we basically just lost outright, uh, which was you know Golden State and Indiana, and we've had we've been better than average in fifty fifty games, and I think Demar is the big reason. Uh, for yeah. that and so on these these prior to this i feel like 
We were not great in those 50-50 games. We didn't close out games well. So you had the games where like, yeah, Zach goes off and the offense goes off and we win those games convincingly. You have the games where for whatever reason you lose convincingly. And then the close games, you were you were very poor at the end of games and you lost most of them. And I think that's the big difference. And I think maybe that's also what you're saying kind of was happening in, in Phoenix as well. If you think about like Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry, at least type of veteran guards, what, what they've done really well in their career is sort of lead around second units. And, you know, they've taken hold of that second unit to the point where their team that they're on is generally getting consistent 48 minutes of good guard play because of that. And the Bulls are getting that with DeRozan at the moment. DeRozan is the guy sort of leading that second unit. And it still doesn't make sense to me at all how how effective these Bulls' second units are, given that there is no shooting on the floor. And we've seen at times how problematic that can be. But when they've got it going, like DeMar is the sole force there. So he's controlling the second unit. That second unit is obviously playing amazing defense and using turnovers to to, to create scores and helping, uh, I guess, uh, mitigate any issues that you do have from a half-court scoring point of view. But when things then come back to the starters at the closer games, it's still DeMar sort of controlling things. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the Suns comp that I was making or why I started thinking about this was like, at least prior to the Pacers games, the, the Bulls had a 5.4 net rating, which was like fifth in the NBA. And if you looked at last season, you know, teams that had a, 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 a comparable net rating were like the team were the Bucks. I think they had a 5.5 net rating. The Suns had a 5.9 net rating. I think the Sixers had a 5.4 net rating or something like that. So teams that were top of their conference last season had a very similar net rating to what the Bulls had prior to the Pacers game. It's been knocked down a couple of points. Then that's, typically going to happen when you get absolutely belted but the, the point is and going back to what we were talking about before like if this holds across the season and you you maintain like a five net rating across the season you're a top you know six seven defense top six seven offense like you're a legit team and that's what the suns were last season um even if frederick didn't believe in them like that's what they were and if the bulls can do something similar where not a lot of people believed in the bulls or at least not to this level of extent but they maintain like a 5.5 net rating across the season and are really good on both ends and you're doing it with uh, through your you know two guards like Levine and DeMar, then, then the, the comparison to me is apt. Yeah. Speaking of net rating, I'm going to go to a couple mailbag questions which I asked for last week, but we didn't get to because we were rambling too much and hearing <laughs> about how to romance girls by the fire, which was not ending oh the show. Can we, uh, uh, can we shout out Stefan No for um, creating an animation for, for that specific scene from last week's pod have you seen that i have it, w- it was pretty hilarious and i gotta say <laughs> i told stefan on twitter i said anytime you need to replace me i'm uh i'm to be wally pip just come on come on the show like uh, it'd be amazing I'd, uh, I'd listen every week if you could just dump dump me for Ste- uh, for stefan no <laughs> yeah that, that was amazing he just des- deserves a shout out for that I'm an anima- animation if people haven't seen it um, and don't know what we're referencing in terms of Fred's seduction techniques. Um, two for one, go go on Stefan's Twitter account and you'll be able to see one, Frederick's ridiculous rant, but two, uh, an animation to that rant. So I, I highly <laughs> recommend it. Agreed. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know how we transitioned that back to net rating, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do yeah, it very poorly. We'll find <laughs> <it>. <laughs> There's just no good way to go from, from throwing a guitar into the fire into net rating. It just, just isn't. But... Uh, uh, so one of the questions from last week was, uh, and I have I've written down Ambler Stevenson as the author, and I'm like, did I mistype Amber? Now I just don't know. Ambler, Amber, <laughs> hard to say. So I apologize for for botching the shout out. But but uh, what's helped us most, offense or defense, 
And, uh, you know, how do we measure? So, you know, net rating is sort of the combination of those two things. I think we're seventh in net rating. And I had written down, we were ninth in defense and seventh in offense, you know, prior uh, or after the, after the Knicks game. That's actually now dropped, which shows you how quickly these things can change uh, just based on, on a single game where you get destroyed to uh, 12th in offense and 11th in defense. But uh, topic still stands. What do you think? What do you think is really driving this team? Is it the offense or the defense? Well, I mean, they've got, they've got two games coming up against the Rockets and Magic as well, two of the worst teams in the NBA. So there's a good chance for those numbers to uh, to bump back up. But um, yeah, I mean, the fact that the defense has been good this good is, is enabled them to, to keep them in games longer. And to be fair, like so much of their defense fuels their offense. Like their half-court offense is pretty average right now. So if this team was getting cooked on on uh, on defense and not getting stops, then obviously that's going to have a flow-on effect on their offense. Um, and the more you know your opponent is scoring, then the, the the likelihood is that you've got a greater likelihood that you're playing half-court offense. And as I just mentioned, the Bulls' half-court offense has been hit and miss in times. So the equation there would mean that if the defense was worse, then this team would be far worse. But because the defense has been so good. Uh, it sort of enabled them to be this good and it's sort of made up for some of the deficiencies that they do have on offense like we've spoken about like the half-court offense the lack of shooting at times if you can create turnovers not only are you stopping your ter- your opposition from scoring but you're you're improving your chance of getting some more efficient looks in in transition so to me it's it's been a, a season that's been um, emblematic about how this team has been playing on defense and if, if we come back to the paces the paces game like the Bulls couldn't make a shot but they couldn't really stop the Pacers from scoring either. So like it was really the defense yesterday against the Pacers, which to me was more of an issue than the offense. The offense obviously was garbage, but because they couldn't get anything going defensively, obviously they couldn't stop the uh, the Pacers, but they couldn't feel their own offense. So to answer the question, I, I think the defense is the backbone of this team right now. Well, I wish I had something more useful to add, but I don't because you pretty much uh, encapsulated my <laughs> thoughts uh, pretty pretty well. Like I'm with you. It's like so much of the offense is driven by the transition yeah. defense and all the turnovers <laughs> they're creating and their style of defense, which is very disruptive. You know, you look at the defense mm-hmm. and their goal is to be disruptive. They're playing all the passing lanes. They're trying to get their hands on uh, lots of loose balls, trying to get a lot of easy shots. And so much of their offense, I feel like, is this like early um, – early offense, you know, in transition, even if you're not getting like an open dunk, you're still getting an, a quick look, you know, prior to the defense setting against your half court offense. And I agree with you. Their half court offense has, has not been anywhere near as good as I think it can be. And I, that I think it will be once we get Vucevic back. And also when Vucevic is playing better because he was very poor, you know, quite frankly, which isn't so surprising when transition offense is going so well, you don't expect him to do well there. But if he starts shooting the three well and he and he is able to uh, get his post looks going in at a better rate and just it performs to the numbers he's had you know over the last three years on aggregate, you know our half court offense should be much better when he's back and and everyone is kind of clicking. So uh, we'll see long term if it, if it remains the defense that is the factor. But right now, for sure, especially in these micro ball lineups where our defense is really predicated on you know, getting lots of deflections and ball denial and playing the passing lanes and then getting a lot of these quick opportunities. I, I think for sure it's a defense, at least at the immediate moment. All right. Yeah. Next, next question from uh, Chris Steven. Uh, oh man, this is a question for Fred. When did Fred realize he had the power of the profit? Uh, so I think this is, you know, really just a, a great question. And when do you guys think Howley starts to forget his disbelief and rather believes? And so uh, I'm going to just say, I think Fred realized he had the power of the prophet whenever he just, uh, you know, 
Uh, how did this start? I did how some did hardcore drugs in, in, in high school. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know when he realized, but it's, I don't know if Fred did hardcore drugs. Maybe he's on them now. I got to tell you, the sevens thing, I cringe every time I see it. Uh, I, 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 I throw up a little bit in my mouth. If, if you guys saw like my, my physical reaction every time you guys just throw gifts at each other, it would, it would, <laughs> you'd just laugh. You'd probably do it even more. Like it, it just like I'm physically pained when you guys start replying to each other in gifts. Uh, which is like ninety percent of your tweets. What, what's the issue with gifts? What's your I don't know. For I, don't know. I don't know. I just like it's it just it just bothers <laughs> me. I just like it's like there's something something like I can't even talk to you. I'm just gonna like throw a trolling, insulting gif at you. I just, <laughs> I'm just like it's just it just it just bothers me. Got any any thoughts? Will Will Cowley ever believe? Mark. Oh, no, he's he's a douchebag. So that, that's an easy question. So no, but in terms of Fred, like. It it's it was I guess it started around at least 2020 because that's when he was making predictions around you know the whole sevens thing the the seven titles and the seven seeds seven picks and all that sort of crap and he was predicting the Bulls winning a title in 2020 or 2021 something like that so it it goes back at least two years before that I, I don't know but w- where he came up with his profit crap i have no idea given that he's wrong majority of, of the time even though he suggests that he's wrong only seven percent of the time because seven is the magic number for whatever reason i think maybe but, he's um, right seven percent of the time yeah definitely i think he's got the equations flipped there but yeah i have no <laughs> idea when did he realize this um no one else has realized this so i don't think it really matters but when fred realized this but um yeah, I'm not sure, Chris. Maybe look if you ask him, you'll get a very different answer, and, and maybe we can put this to him next week when he's on the show, assuming he's on the show next week. But it was more fun to make fun of him on on the show. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely way better. Yeah, no, I I think it's a uh, it's kind of funny. We had a rousing debate about Joe Cowley. Well, we were we were sitting at at the game. There's like eight of us, and I think there was an even split on this. And like half of the people were like, "Look, Cowley is a good guy. He's playing a role, uh-huh. and his role is like internet troll." And, you know, he's just doing stuff to get clicks and whatever. And I said, like, if your uh, profession is that you are, and, and I do think that's probably true. Like, I don't think he goes home and like, you know, beats his kids or anything, you know, like, I think he's just a normal person once he gets out of his job. Like, I don't think he's, you know, like anything bad personally, you know, I, I have no idea, but you know, that would be my guess. Like, I guess I just assume that for all people. And obviously it's not true for some, but I have no reason to think he does anything bad personally. But my, my counter take to that is like if you if your job is to like be a professional troll and your job is to like annoy people and to write articles just to rile people up and you know your goal professionally is to rile people up. That's like eight hours of your life you're doing just spreading negativity in the world. And you're choosing a profession where you've chosen a niche to be the guy who just trolls people, like that's not a great thing to do. And you've chosen to do that. And that does kind of make you not such a great person. If everyone refused to have that role, then you know, no one would have it. So I don't need to celebrate that someone has that role, even though I know it's his job. And I, and it's like the Sun Times, right? The Sun, if, I don't know how long you follow the Sun Times, Mark, maybe not so long, but the Sun Times as a paper has always filled the professional trolling sports niche. Like before, mm-hmm. before him, it was like Jay Mariotti who used to just go around and just trash yeah. everything. And that was his, his job was just to go trash whatever in Chicago sports. And it's easy to trash stuff because unless you win the title, people reflexively feel it just wasn't good enough. You know, unless your team is is like on this huge upward momentum, and you know, most of the time teams aren't. They're either they're either just staying roughly where they are because it's really hard to move forward, or they're moving downwards. You know, it's like if you it's a one third, one third, one third, then two thirds of the time the troll is gonna is gonna always win and have a better argument. Um, so, 
you know, it's 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 an obvious niche that people need to fill. And sometimes, as traditionally said, we're going to fill this niche of just being the most negative possible view of all sports. And you know, but like I said, I don't I don't have to enjoy that niche, and I don't think it makes you. You know, it's a lousy, lousy place to be. And if you spend your career doing it, then it says something about your choices that you're willing to do so. Yeah, look, I, I, I won't comment on the personal aspect, even though uh, people can easily Google those things and come up with them themselves. But just purely on a professional sense, like I don't need, I don't understand why it needs to be a niche that needs to be filled. Like, why can't we just have good analysis from all outlets? Why can't we have good coverage from all outlets? Like, what are we learning from all the things that he types up on his you know, his posts or his articles. We learn absolutely nothing. Um, you know, he has some hot takes from time to time, to time, like this whole Zach Levine isn't a max player type thing. If that's just all done just to have a take because you don't truly believe in it and you're just doing this to just, you know, drive outrage and outrage will drive engagement and those sorts of things, like that's just a shitty way to operate in my opinion. So, you know, each to their own, he can do whatever he wants. But yeah, I, I just, I don't think we as fans are learning thing learning anything he's not making us smarter i don't think he cares about that necessarily but for me at least as a consumer of sports like i enjoy reading like a, a donnell maybe piece or a rob schaefer thing because i feel like or a stefan no piece like after you've read those guys you feel like you've walked away and you've actually learned something you you become a smarter bulls fan i don't, I don't know what value there is to reading the sometimes there's just what, what do you have in his post-game articles or is just his general articles either of you know, whether it's just general analysis or editorials, like what the hell are you learning? Absolutely zero. So uh, he has nothing to me. Uh, he is adding nothing to the beat coverage. Um, I think he's terrible. Uh, I don't understand why people uh, think he's good at his job or, uh, or for whatever reason, you know, are willing to say, oh, we understand what he's trying to do in terms of being an instigator, like, and and find him funny for that reason. I, I think it's actually quite shitty, and it, and it makes the uh, the whole coverage of this team worse. So I don't understand it. I don't get it. He stinks. Um, but that's enough about him on this podcast. <laughs> that was uh, that was pretty long. I won't uh, I won't go any longer. I don't know if you picked up my <laughs> my wife's whistle uh, text notification, but I was not whistling at you, Mark. No, I didn't hear. I was too busy ranting about that doofus. Okay. I don't know if it came on the mic, but if there's some whistling in the background, Bulls fans, I don't think Mark is sexy. I mean, I do, but I wasn't whistling. <laughs> yeah, another thing. Uh, so final mailbag question we have uh, from Colin Manning, and it's not even a question, just how impressed are you by DJJ? Uh, I can't believe Portland gave him up and a pick. Uh, great pickup by the Bulls. Uh, and just says, hey, just discuss him. Tell me some good DJJ news, some good DJJ stories. And the one I had was I think it was after the uh, was it the Nuggets game when he had the one huge uh, dunk mid game and someone asked him after the game like how does that rate on your like all time dunk list and he said it's not even in the top ten and I just thought that was hilarious and probably true that dude is a crazy something that's not said about enough about Derek Jones Jr. is like how smart he is at times and, and what I mean by that like he, he the Bulls have to treat him as a center and they've obviously been playing him as a backup center so that makes sense but. The way you use him on offense has to be like a, a center. Like in, in, he's basically a smaller Daniel Gafford. I'll, I'll put it that way. In the way that he's sort of rolling to the rim, playing above the rim in, in the way he is. But he's really creative in the in the way he you know finds those lanes, knows those opportunities in the short rolls, knows when to roll to the rim hard and get up there and try to dunk. So there is a skill to it. There is an IQ to it. So the fact that we don't necessarily think about him as a center, but he's just come in and done those things so effortlessly, it seems like he, he deserves a shout out for that. But uh, I think what's so interesting when you watch 
Derek Jones Jr. is, uh, you know, obviously he's. Let's take the Nuggets game. He was finishingly um, finishing amazingly as a, as that role man in that game. But what I want people to note down is just how much attention someone like Zach Levine draws in those sort of pick and roll situations to the point where he's drawing two every single time, maybe even sometimes three. And that allows for a player like Derek Jones Jr. to be so effective because he can just roll down the lane and take off literally almost from the free throw line, which is insane. And, and you know, finish the way he does. And, and you referenced that dunk there. But uh, as much as good as De- Derek Jones Jr. is, like he's so dependent on the players around him, which is fine. Like he's a role guy. Most role guys are dependent around the stars around them. But, you know, as good as Derek Jones Jr. has been, go back, watch that, that Nuggets game. Go back and watch the way Derek Jones Jr. has scored and how the fact the defense is just so keyed in on someone like Levine that it allows Derek Jones Jr. to sort of get behind the defense and be effective in the way he has been. He's been really good at that, but... There's a there's a flow on effect or at least a catalyst to all of that and it's generally Demara Levine so um they've all been playing really good yeah I think uh, what's interesting and I agree completely so a lot of these guys who are role players their stats are really to some degree a function of their teammates you know when you're a tertiary guy and mm-hmm. but what what DJJ has done compared to say uh, Patrick Williams is he's made the most of like all of those opportunities to cut, get easy yeah. baskets. And he's, mm-hmm. he, he still also generates uh, those opportunities for himself where other players aren't always able to do that. So he, he no, requires yeah. Levine or DeMar or even Lonzo at times, um, not so much as some Lonzo initiating, but Lonzo with his, his very good passing ability to like find him in a, in a tight seam you know, he requires those guys to be able to unlock what he can do. Like he can't by on himself do anything particularly special. But mm-hmm. when he has those guys around him, then what he can yeah. bring is still more than than a lot of other guys. And so just just because we're just saying like how, how nice of a season he is, just check out these per 36-minute numbers for Derek Jones Jr. Uh, 14.9 points a game, uh, eight rebound, 7.9 rebounds a game. 1.3 steals, 1.7 blocks, only one turnover, which makes sense. He's not handling the ball a whole lot. And uh, true shooting percentage of 69.6%. Yeah, that's, that's like, crazy. That is exactly, in it, if you looked at what a rim rolling center would do yeah. for you, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly, you know, you'd have that really high, you know, efficiency, obviously limited amount of looks, but 15.6, or sorry, um, was it 14.6 points per 36 is not like incredibly low volume. It's not like eight points or something, you know, so he, he is finding enough seams and enough ways to get looks in transition or other ways uh, to, to, to do that for you. And I, I just think that's, that's fantastic. You know, like you said, he completely relies on, and those other guys to be able to make things happen for you. But, you know, just as a comparison sake, if I were to go look at uh, Daniel Gafford, 15.1 points uh, per 36, uh, you know, a little bit more on the block side with uh, 2.9 blocks and uh, 65.5% true shooting percentage. So, you know, he is definitely filling, you know, that type of role and even the rebounding numbers, you know, he's got 9.2 per 36, you know, pretty similar. So, you know, he's he's uh, not really a guy you would view as a center, but it is exactly how the Bulls are using him. And, uh, he, you know, he's delivered. He's been been very huge. And it's interesting that it took you know, some injuries actually to get him in the rotation because initially, for whatever reason, Troy Brown Jr. was in the rotation ahead of him. And, you know, that has, uh, has definitely flipped. So yeah, last topic yeah, for, sure. for the day, uh, Marco Simonovic. Um, 
Rusty. Rusty. I don't know why you brought that up. Fred's not here. Why would you do that? Why would you do I that? Don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't help but think about that every time now for whatever reason. I, the last time we talked about him and Fred, Fred just brought out Rusty before me saying the name. And I'm like, I have no idea who he's talking about. I literally have no idea. And I kept I'm thinking sorry. like I, Rusty I LaRue. And I'm like, I have no clue. Why is he talking about Rusty LaRue? I'm so confused. And then it like, finally after like a minute, it like occurred to me, oh, he's talking about Marco. Uh, because he can't say the last name. I don't even know if I said the last name, but it, it was at least a respectable try. Anyway, um, Marco finally got some burn against the Pacers. Uh, you know, I've I've said I'm already done. I don't think Marco is an NBA player. Uh, what do you think? Is he is Marco ever going to make it on the Bulls? Is he ever going to play ro- like be in the rotation in his career? Wow, I mean, this speaks to. I, I kind of feel embarrassed about this because I was watching summer league, obviously whilst it was on I was like talking myself into him I was like oh this guy's he can do some things here because he's a pretty creative passer he knows how to roll to the rim he knows how to do this and that's not so good defensively but knows no he knows where to be sometimes I was talking trying to talk myself into him being something and maybe that was because the Bulls I just didn't believe in the Bulls backup center position at that specific time I mean we just got talking about Derek Jones Jr who is just so much better as a backup center than Simonovic but I don't know like uh, I look back a couple of months ago where I was trying to talk myself into him at summer league and I feel kind of dumb about it now because he clearly does not look ready at all um three-year guaranteed deal uh that's not ideal maybe I mean it's on the minimum so it's not a huge huge thing but does he look yeah, like a player not, a not loss, but not great no it's not and i mean it's a second round pick so who cares but no he doesn't look like a player doug uh at least at this stage maybe he something clicks at some point and he gets it together but um to be honest with you i didn't even really watch many of his minutes yesterday i I'd sort of tuned out like the uh, a lot more wiser people tuned out a lot earlier but for me I, I i i think i held on to like four minutes left in the game so i caught a bit of his minutes but i wasn't really watching to be honest with you yeah i got it So the comment I made about him, and I I think this holds true. Let me know if this resonates with you. Um, So he's not big enough or strong enough to be a center. Yeah, he's nowhere near athletic enough to do anything else, unless he develops some type of elite skill. And Mm -hmm. you would think that would probably be shooting. Mm -hmm. And so he could do that. It's a possibility. But there's nothing in his shooting so far that makes me think that's likely. I mean, like anyone could theoretically do that, you know, if they're young enough and practice enough and whatever. But generally, you can find better shooters who are just more athletic, better defenders than him who are just shorter. Like he, So unless he does something where he can utilize his height in a way that's meaningful, you're better off just playing a shorter guy who's a better shooter and more athletic and will still defend better than him anyway and do all these other big man things better than him anyway. And I think that's really what we're seeing the league move to is for a while this like stretch four was like this big thing, like if we can find big men who can shoot. And what they've found is like, yeah, actually, if we just kind of get athletic guys who can shoot, they actually do the big men things just as good as the big men anyway. And they can defend way better. And they're actually more plentiful anyway to shoot. So like that role is just, it's like if he was a, a player... 20 years ago, you would say like, yeah, I can see how this guy is going to fit in as a power forward. Uh, but in today's NBA, it's just, it's really hard for me to see how he fits in unless he just develops an elite skill because he as like a, as a physical body, like that type is not as valuable as it was in the past. And that's nothing on him. I look like Ben Gordon is like the reverse of this to me. 
Like if Ben Gordon came out in the league today, he'd be like super valuable compared to when yeah. he came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, whatever, just that the style of the league was different back then. And the style of the league is different now. Some guys just, it's just not, they, they don't have the, the right skills, body, whatever, for the, the way the NBA game is played at the moment. And he's one of those guys where like, yeah, I'd totally see it if it was 20 years ago, but now no. And I don't think this is a criticism of AK or, or Mark Eversley for me that they drafted this guy. Second rounders are crapshoot. And Simonovich was drafted because we needed a draft and stash guy. We didn't have any roster spots available. You know, so whatever we're going to do with the second round pick was someone who wasn't going to be on the roster. We either needed to trade it or we needed to just take a guy who was not going to come here for a year. And so we took the best draft and stash guy we could and, you know, let him play. Uh, the only thing that annoys me a little bit is we gave him the three-year deal instead of IO. Like, I think yeah. probably mm-hmm. we agree. We'd love to have IO on a three-year deal instead of a two-year. Mm-hmm. And we'd rather have mm-hmm. Simonovich on a two-year instead of yep. a three-year. But it's, it was early to make that type of evaluation. So is what it is, you know, one of two on those second rounders is still fantastic. If IO continues on the route he's at, it's still fantastic uh, rate for second round picks. What they've had two second round picks at this point, Simonovic and IO, if I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm forgetting one, but if you're batting at a 50% clip, (laughs) if you can do that consistently with second round picks, like that's just truly amazing. So I don't expect that to hold, but uh, yeah, look, I, I completely agree. Simonovic reminds me, it's not a direct comp- comparison, but like to your point around, like he's not big enough to be a center, but not mobile enough to be a power forward. Like he reminds me of Frank Kaminsky in a sense for the Suns. Like, uh, I mean, Kaminsky's better, but he's ha- he's been in the league a number of years. I came into the league meant to be this big shooting type um, center, I suppose. But to your point, not, not big enough to be a center, not athletic to be a, uh, a power forward. So yeah, I feel like Simonovic probably won't hit. Maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Um, but we'll find out in due course. But in the event that he doesn't, who cares? IO's clearly proven himself to be a, a hit. So uh, like I said, 50% clip from second round picks. You take that every time. Yeah, yeah. Completely agree. I It was funny when you were going with that comparison. I thought you were going to drop a Cameron Bear style reference for whatever reason. <laughs> like he's totally going to compare him to Cameron Bear style. But no. Well, if, if that's the case, then um, I mean, Cameron Bear is playing here locally now. So maybe... Uh, Maybe Simonovic will be in the NBL very soon and I can go and follow his career more closely. <laughs> All right. We'll hope not. We'll hope that, uh, we'll hope that like many people have done in the past, that Marco <laughs> proves me to be an idiot. I, uh, I, I, will, I will cheer to be wrong on like all of my negative predictions, but you know, we'll see. And I guess maybe even though I said that was the last topic, I don't know. You got to go. You got a hard cutoff in two minutes. So timed yeah. out perfectly. I was going to try and throw Io some love just so we don't end on a negative note. Uh, but uh, I guess maybe we mixed in some Io love in there. I mean, Fred mentions uh, him every other week a million times, so he, he gets his enough enough play airplay. All right. Just to be fair to Fred, since he's on the show, um, Tom Thibodeau sucks. Kirk Heimrich sucks. Uh, Ryan Archer Diakono sucks. Denzel Valentine rules. Io rules. Javante sucks. Uh, the Bulls will win a title in seven years. Did I cover all <laughs> the main points? Well, I don't think the Bulls will win title in seven years. I think it's next year officially. Oh, sorry. But, uh, sorry. It's title seven next year. I can't yeah. believe I screwed that up. They'll probably win this, the the seventh in a row in seven years. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. That'd be, that'd exactly. be eight exactly. years. So, Never mind. So the next one. Who knows? Maybe he's moved up the prediction. I don't know. I mean, we, we've referenced him enough. We've, we've, we've toted out the same lines that he typically throws out. Like, we don't really need him on the show. I mean, like he was effectively here through us via proxy. So. <laughs> I think so. I think he'll, yeah. I think he'll agree. I think when he hears it, I think he'll agree. All right. Maybe. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Thanks for joining me, Mark. Hopefully, we'll have our buddy Fred to uh, be back with us so we aren't just making fun of him, but uh, get, get at least to receive a little bit of his 
his uh, hijinks as well. And I'm sure get another amazing story um, about how to seduce women or raise uh, children or uh, what breakfast foods we like. All right, we'll talk to you guys next week. This is for C. Red Fred. This is my guy who's been calling the radio show for years and years and years, cheering on our bowls. You know how much I love the bowls. I got my Wheaties up there. The Wheaties cereal still in those boxes, by the way. Um, all my, uh, let's see over here. Got my son with Benny the Bowl. One of my favorite pictures. I was right next to Michael uh, in 96 when one of my friends in the media took that picture. It's on my wall. Uh, but so this is for C Red Fred and it's from our buddy Mark in Australia. I've been on Mark K's podcast before. He's a great dude. He's a smart, well-educated Bulls fan. Something that C Red Fred, you are not at times. How many times have you been wrong about the Bulls? Whether it's been about John Paxson or whether it's about winning meaningless games when they were supposed to be tanking in December, whether it was about Nikola Miritic getting uh, oh, so much for him because uh, we want the Bulls to win and create a good culture so we could trade him. Uh, let's go on this journey together and let's enjoy it and let's not make any more 777 proclamations. Let's just hope for the best and stick your predictions up your ass because you're usually wrong. I love you, brother. I love you, C Red Fred, but you're always wrong about the Bulls. You've never been right about anything except the radio show you listen to. Love you, Freddie. And shout out to Mark. Thank you for reaching out and uh, donating to cancer-related charities here on Cameo.